It is Tuesday, March 31st, 2020, and we've reached the Sweet 16 of the Now That's What I Call Madness, Volume 1. We'll be joined by longtime Sports Illustrated columnist and author Steve Russian to break down the matchups, and he'll give us his picks as well. Plus, we're missing basketball a little bit right now. We'll try to figure out a way to resume the NBA season. All that, plus dollar slice takes, coming up. This is The Tune-Up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, Mr. I'm back from quarantine because the USS Comfort just pulled in the port. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> All I could think about, Denny, today was that John Mulaney bit where he talks about how people used to spend a day, get dressed up in suits, and wait on the port to wave goodbye to a ship leaving. That's what it <laughs> felt like to me, that... This is how bored people are. They're they're welcoming ships. Oh, well, exactly. I'm glad it's here. It's very white and beautiful. I hope it helps. It it's majestic. I was considering going to go for a run up uh up through Hoboken, even though I I guess we're technically not supposed to do that. But man, dude, dude, I've I've been eating too much to not exercise. So I you know, everybody keeps talking about getting fat, and what's funny for me is uh all my sneaking around and bad food happens when I'm not at home with my wife and kids. This is where I like keep it together. So I'm seeing like, like I'm not like, oh shit, I'm just cruising by a Taco Bell or pulling the, uh, hey babe, I gotta run to Dwayne Reed and shoving a slice in my face on the way. Like, like this shit's not happening right now. So I'm actually, I'm actually doing all right. I hit peak sweets. Uh problem if you will last night i go to the grocery store that's right by my house um n- number one i wait in line for this <laughs> ridiculous for, for what i bought and that's that's the other thing during this thing that that time in line kind of gives you time to th- really think out your life choices like the other day i went in and i stood in line for like five minutes to buy licorice right <laughs> and you're like did i just get a pandemic virus for licorice exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a fair concern. Last night <laughs> I went in and I bought a pie crust and you know that like that like junk uh that like Duncan Hines like je- uh, like lemon gel filling and I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I can just put that in that and, and and I have a pie." That's probably not how that works, but No, I don't it- think that's how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, have some fun in the kitchen tonight. I hope you clean all your dirty dishes out of your oven because I know that's where they are. And, uh, yeah, you know, keep it together, Danny. Just uh, make sure you wake up and shave every day and, uh, and do your thing. Everything's going to be fine, you know? All right, Benny, it's been a minute, but because we can't go from cold takes to hot takes, it's time for our Don't Fuck This Up person or thing of the week. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. And the last thing I said to him, I said, look, man, don't fuck this up for me. Don't fuck it up. Six, six, six. Benny, who do you got? Well, it's a bunch of people this time, but it's got to be the New York Giants offseason, which I'm a little concerned about. You know, I'm a true fan, Denny. I can convince myself of a lot of things. So <laughs> I'm looking at some of these signings. I'm looking at the roster, and I'm like, hey, it feels optimistic to me. Every season starts zero to zero. You know, there's no winner. We have a chance like anyone. And then I get a text to one of my buddies who's, you know, an NFL writer, a bit of an insider. I'm like, hey, 
break down the Giants offseason for me. Tore it apart. He <laughs> tore it apart. Gave us no chance. Hates Gettleman. Hates Jason Garrett. Hates the Leonard Williams experiment. Hates the Martinez signing. Only, I'm like, can you give me a slice of hope here? Anything good. He said, okay, Bradbury's a decent signing. And uh, I like Darius Slayton. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. So it's going to be a long time off from sports. The New York Giants, as much as football is my, my least interesting sport, the New York Giants are probably my most hardcore team. And if they start out again and my boy Daniel Jones doesn't take this jump, you know, Blake Martinez is getting used all over the field at $10 million a year. Uh, I'm not going to – and I have to watch Jason Garrett, who I implicitly fucking hate because he's been a cowboy so long. Um, you know, if they start one and three, two and four, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I can't do it this year. I, I don't deserve the pain. So please don't fuck this up, Giants. I need I need this offense to click. I need Daniel Jones to take a step, and I need to have at least an entertaining eight and eight season, please. Well, at least you won't have to worry about it because the NFL won't be back this fall, so you won't have the heartache. <laughs> you know, you you may have the absence of, of the sport, but at least you won't have to deal with the week to week. Just uh... I'll, I'll still it's like Madden, man. I'll I'll still get pissed about the off season. My don't fuck this up person of the week is Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. In the sports desert that is the current climate, Phil gave fans reason to believe on Sunday, hinting at social media that plans are being formed for another clash between Tiger and Phil. Benny, there has to be a place on the planet where these two golfers, their caddies, and a skeleton TV crew can pull off this production. And not to step on a dollar slice take, but I think they could pull off this entire television production using drones. I mean, have you seen some of the TV footage, late night shows I've been using? Drones at least have 4K cameras with 1080p. So you have these drones follow them. You don't really need a guy on the island. I think this could work. I mean... You know, why don't you go a step further, almost like Hunger Games style then? You know, if you really want to ensure safety, you use drones, you quarantine Phil and Tiger for 14 days apiece, just drop them somewhere, man. Just see what happens. Golf, maybe they get to some golf. Maybe they just deal with survival. At this point, I pay a lot of fucking money to watch Phil and Tiger fight it out for survival on an island somewhere. I don't know. Who do you think wins that? Who you got your money on? Oh, Tiger, because he's already fought back once. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Benny, let's get to the NBA here. And, you know, there's been talk about how to best get the basketball season back on track. An interesting model that the NBA could fo follow is what's happening in China, or at least what they've talked about. The CBA has discussed playing in a city in the warmer southern region that hasn't seen the same volume of cases as other areas. Another option is going to a coastal city in, in the northeast of China that typically receives many travelers from nearby Japan and South Korea and has developed an effective quarantine strategy. Teams would live and play in a consistently monitored environment, where players are checked in on several times a day. That feels a little crazy. I don't think Adam Silver would do that. Imagine having someone following LeBron, checking in on him. Anyway, I digress. If the plan unfolded and actually worked, I think you could see NBA teams doing something like that. A lot of people have talked about Vegas. Not exactly sure Vegas is the best place to do that, though there are many hotels to quarantine guys. There are gyms. There are stuff like that. So 
I guess that's an applicable way. Another potential option. I think Phoenix could be a great place to do that too. So, Benny, what do you think of this uh, bringing all of the teams into one city, having them playing these back-to-back-to-back, almost summer league-type games to finish out the season? I mean, I think it's currently the only model that could even potentially exist. Um, But, you know, the thing we're dealing with here and where it seems hopeful is, you know, China was their peak, as they call it, was six weeks ago, two months ago. We currently haven't reached our peak in, you know, in the epicenters of the U.S. And, you know, China began by saying we're going to start April 1st. They moved it to April 15th. Now they're looking at the CBA starting in late April, early May. They're still figuring out the cities. They're figuring out how they're going to functionally quarantine these players and how they're going to do it. So the the model doesn't exist yet for how this is going to pan out. Um, And I think the idea that it's going to happen this year and the idea that we're going to finish out this regular season before the playoffs seems really optimistic to me. Um, I know functionally you would want five to 10 games as like people have discussed to get people in gear and, uh, you know, make the playoffs look the way they're supposed to look and teams playing the way they're supposed to play. But again, it seems optimistic. I don't think there's going to be the time. I think if they want to actually complete this season, they need to be realistic for the fact that there won't be the rest of the regular season and they're going to have to manage some sort of minimal playoff structure to ensure that this season closes and the next season actually begins. Um, and another loop into this whole thing is now that the Olympics has been postponed to July 21, which would now fall into a different time with the NBA season, which could literally lead to like these guys playing for like 15 straight months and then having to go to the Olympics, which also means whatever the men's national team in the Olympics is going to be gutted as superstars the next time it comes. And like you said, you know, they haven't, uh, South Korea started their league again and has already stopped. Japan has started their league again and has already stopped. So that's the last thing they can do is get this whole machine going again and do that and then have to stop again. So they'll err on the side of caution to make sure that doesn't happen. I like the idea of where they're going to bring these things. You put like a hundred of these guys in a sprawling casino complex somewhere (laughs) in Las Vegas. Fuck yeah. You put these guys in like Bahamian ballrooms, like, you know, empty parts of uh, what's that giant resort hotel in Nassau, you know, like, like Atlantis. Yeah. Have them go crazy in Atlantis. You know, I heard about colleges in the Midwest that aren't hit so hard. So, I mean, I think ideally they're kicking around some good ideas, but they're so far away from knowing what's possible. And I think you're a little remiss to even begin to talk about how it's going to happen since it hasn't successfully happened anywhere else yet. You know, I kind of like this big three idea, which is take 16 guys and while you're quarantining them, you film it big brother style. You know what I mean? Imagine these guys like all living in a giant complex being filmed day to day. And then you have the reality episode aspect to it. And then once the quarantine's finished, you release them onto the court and let them play some ball. Again, Ice Cube 
solve this whole thing already, man. <laughs> you know who's going to win this whole thing if that's the case? LeBron James. Because he's already got the production company in right. place. So yeah. I don't need yeah, a... Yeah. There was a chance that LeBron wasn't going to win an NBA title this year. There's no chance no that if, chance if there's that. a production element to it that LeBron's just not going to win the coronavirus outbreak. And that yeah, I can't know, have. <laughs> LeBron started the documentary for this when the shit was still in Wuhan. Like, straight up. He's been at this forever. You know, it's LeBron. He's got, he's got his uh, fingers on it. He ain't fucking up. He ain't fucking up. Oh, man. Especially with Space Jam coming out this summer. Oh, it's... It's over. At a certain point, I just got to realize it's LeBron James' world, and we're all just living in it. Sorry, Danny. Just get used to it as quick <laughs> as possible, man. I have one bonus question. I Since we're on the topic of LeBron, we brought up the Olympics already. Who do you think is more likely to make the Olympic team next year and not make as in be selected, but just be there? Zion Williamson or LeBron James? Uh, definitely Zion, 100%. If this if this pans out the way it's going to pan out, LeBron already has, you know, it's not like one of those things LeBron has to get. He already has one. Yeah. You know what I mean? He he won his Olympics. If there's anything that guy's about, it's it's the body, it's preservation, it's this legacy with the Lakers. So I think 1000% you see Zion on that team quicker than you see LeBron. I don't know. It could be his international swan song. Like you know he's gearing up for or before all this, he was gearing up for uh, two more years of his prime. I mean, and you you look at someone who's around the same age, and Jersey girl, Carly Lloyd, she was gearing up for the Olympics to be her swan song uh, to, to kind of the world. And I can very much see LeBron kind of doing like the same way. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll push really hard for these two years and then kind of st- steadily decline realistically. Not saying LeBron would ever like take his foot off the gas because he's very much got that Mamba mentality. But I could definitely see a, a world where he was gearing up for that to be the plan. You know, have Space Jam be a success, Olympics, and then fade out with one championship led by Anthony Davis. Now, that's a good point. That, that might even make me shift my opinion because you're right. Like, he's getting to the end of his career and he realizes that LeBron International is, is like, the most <laughs> important thing right now. Right. But what... What brings LeBron more revenue and money, even in a place like China? Is it running through the Olympics and having a successful Space Jam? Or is it winning a championship with the Los Angeles Lakers? It's probably that. Yeah, That's still going to give him more acclaim and more money, you know, because he hasn't done that yet. And if he still wins this ring with the Lakers and gets to put himself in in that conversation as well, I still think that could probably cement his career and his legacy even internationally, probably even more. Benny, those are what we call good problems to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's doing all right. The rest of the right. world is, the is concerned had, about... The biggest problem LeBron's had in the last few years is probably... Uh, Taco Tuesday? Yeah, Taco Tuesday. <laughs> not, not getting trademarked for Taco Tuesday. That's probably his biggest issue. He's doing fine. Brown's doing fine. All right, Benny, we've reached the halfway point of the podcast, which means it's time for, oh, we've, I've waited for this for so long, Dollar Slice Take of the Week. All right, so there's a funny story to set this one up. When I was 17 years old, I moved into a house with a bunch of guys in Highland Park, New Jersey. Now, right across the street was a quick check. 
basically the front of my house faced the side of the quick check that was on the corner. Not after long, we frequented this quick check. And funny story about that. A few people I lived with were pretty into smoking blunts at the time. And I went in one night pretty late. There's a great shift manager named John. He became our friend. And I came and I said, oh, can I have two Phillies, please? And he said, son, you bought them all. And I'm like, oh, all right. I'm like, yeah, you know, we like to have card games over there. And, you know, we like to smoke cigars. And he says, you like to have them when you take the tobacco out. (laughs) (laughs) After that day, John became our very good friend. And we knew him for years. Now, I was in a long-standing conversation with John about developing a zip line system from the front of my home to the side door of Quick Check, where it rings a little bell. We send over some cash in an order. John sorts me out and sends it back on the zip line. I brought this up a lot of times to John. He laughed at me a lot, but we never got it going. I still think it's a good idea. And now with the current times... This is what we do. You put a pole in front of your house with a little zip line with a caliper on it, right? The delivery car pulls right up, clips onto your zip line, and you just pull it into your front door. No hand-on-hand transaction, six feet of distance, nice and easy. I've had a couple awkward exchanges with people already where I'm like, I don't, am I supposed to touch you? Am I supposed to take your money back? I don't know what to do. So I want to re-bring this zipline system maybe back into society. I think we can almost kind of see a, you know how people all always visioned like, oh, 2020, like there's going to be flying cars, all, all that stuff. You have a bunch of drones flying around. I am sold on this drone idea. I don't know if I'm like drunk. Like, Second I, time you're talking about drones today. Are you because working I, for someone? <laughs> Use the promo code. No, no, just kidding. Um, no, but hey, man, I think that, you know, if, say I've got a hankering for, I don't know, insomnia cookies, right? Great place. Sounds and good. they have their drone, and I put put my order in. The GPS is not going to not know where my house is or leave a, I don't know, bag of something in the front seat of their car. So they attach their thing. They come over to me. Um, and we don't even have to knock on the window. I get a text. The drone is right outside my window. I open up the window. It's a beautiful plan. You know where that leads to, though? iRobot. So yeah, yeah. You only go short term here. <laughs> this leads to five years from now, you know, you walk out of the front of your house and someone's like, you know, did you brush your teeth today, <laughs> Denny? Did you pay your taxes yet? <laughs> And all of a sudden, there's some government drone asking you questions. Got to be careful what you ask for, friend. My dollar slice take of the week. And, you know, I want to keep it in a similar vein. And my dollar slice take of the week is, you know, there's at some point, you know, supply chains can get short and there could be a coffee shortage. Okay. What I propose is water coffee. Now, hear me out. I know this sounds gross, but I think this is the way to go. So my favorite part of an ice latte out of the initial burst is, you know, after you wait, after you finished it and you wait a while and the ice melts down and there's still some residual coffee and you kind of get the whole, the whole fixings. 
you get the coffee, you get the water, you get hydrated because coffee dehydrates you. So I think if, you know, it would be a good way for <laughs> these coffee places to, to keep their bottom line going. People could still get their fix, but not quite enough to keep them coming back for more. I really think everybody wins here. You get hydrated, you get caffeinated, you get all of those things. Coffee, water, coming to a store near you. Benny, did you just tell me that the melted ice from your iced lattes is providing you with adequate hydration? Right here, baby. Oh, my goodness. That's the most Jersey City thing I've ever heard. I don't oh. need to drink water. The ice of my latte melts. <laughs> <laughs> and then, meanwhile, right next to it, I have salsa, which I'm not even sure what this does. So double-fisted today. But, hey, yeah. it works. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Joining us now on the line is a noted author, longtime SI columnist. It's Steve Russian, ladies and gentlemen. Steve, what's up, man? I'm doing well. I'm hanging in there. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for coming out, Steve. I appreciate it, man. My pleasure. I, I, although I must say, I haven't actually come out. I'm staying staying at home. So that's <laughs> yeah. It's li literally the least I can do. So how many how many children are you in a home with? Yeah, we've got four, ages 15, 13, 11, and nine. So we've done about eleven puzzles, I think, at this point. One of them yeah. had all the pieces. And uh, we're we're kind of uh, hanging in there. How about well, you? Have well, two kids? I got two. I, I have a question though. So all your kids seem to be. This is something that seems to be coming up for sort of some of my family members and stuff. All of your kids are sort of at that age where they would be involved in some sort of virtual school. No. Yes. And how how do you allow that to happen? Do you have four devices in your home that allows them well, to all go to school at the same time? How does that work? They, our kids go to a uh, Catholic K through eight. The three younger ones, eighth, sixth, and fourth grade, and the school issued them all iPads, and uh, oh, so they've great. been they've been doing stuff. They, the fourth grader never took it home before, but now she was on a. She's like a middle manager at an insurance company. She was on a Zoom conference call this morning <laughs> with the whole class. Uh, and our oldest, who's a sophomore in high school, she attends class her classes, um, you know, via video conferencing. And uh, she said the very first day uh, in an English class because the teacher can't see them; they can all see the teacher, and they can they can be muted or not muted. Some kid. Uh, let out a large, she thinks it was like a sound effect off of YouTube of, of burst the flatulence at a quiet moment in class. <laughs> and uh, so kids find a way to adapt. Even if they're not physically in school, they find a way to screw around. And the teacher actually said, oh, Billy, even though she didn't know who did it, she had a pretty good idea. So. Nice. Good for yeah. her. You know, what's interesting about it is, you know, as an author, I'd, I'd love to get your take on it. You know, I'd heard a contention years back in a, in a book actually called... Uh, Everything that's bad is good for you. And, um, you know, he made the idea in there that, you know, for people of our generation and your generation, our generation, the idea is that uh, the best thing you could do for your mind is to go read a book, right? Like, like the most valuable thing you could do with your time Absolutely. is to put yourself into a book and, and put yourself into the stories and, and get lost in your own mind. And this contention made that potentially a book could be the most isolating thing you could possibly do. And, you know, uh, a FaceTime with your friends, even though you may not be uh, reading something of note or something like that, you're actually part of a, a social situation 
that could be advancing you in like a different way. It, do you think like this time we're in is going to shift these ideas a little bit, maybe a little more? Well, I think it's definitely going to shift our thinking and, and the way we live permanently after this. I don't think there's any question about that. I said to our kids, why would there ever be another snow day if you're going to school now uh, right. via iPad? Yeah, yeah, so I think point. there's ways large and small, but I still think a book. I mean, imagine yourself in prison, as many of us have cause to imagine ourselves uh, now when you're, when you're confined. One way to travel beyond those walls is through a book. Absolutely, sure. FaceTime is, is, is a good way to do it. I've read about, though nobody has ever asked me to participate in a virtual happy hour as people are doing on, uh, on FaceTime and Zoom. But uh, for me, as a writer who's very comfortable spending a lot of time alone in a room with this thought, um, you know, I'm still kind of at home as I, as I frequently am. And when I take a break from writing, I, I like to read in the, in the same way that you wouldn't have presumably wanted to be in a band had you not enjoyed listening to music. You wouldn't want to be a chef if you didn't enjoy eating food. Um, I feel like the reading is necessary for the writing. Yeah, yeah. Makes perfect sense. Well, speaking of escapism, we have eight phenomenal records here in our round of 16, sweet 16, if you will. Uh, and we brought Steve on uh, mainly because he, he's done a lot of writing about the Beatles, 70s in general. So, And that ties in perfectly to our first matchup here, which is number one overall seed, Sgt. Pepper, versus uh, what we're deeming the fan favorite, Born to Run here. Steve, what do you make of this matchup? <laughs> I feel like I'm walking into a lion's den here with the New Jersey music <laughs> royalty, and um, I, and I, I don't want to get beaten like a pinata when I say I, this. But uh, I hear but, you, Steve. I, I mean, you. this is this these things always. The horrible thing about these things is they always put you in a position of you know, coming off as denigrating one by having to choose the other. Yes. So let me just say, let me give my respects to the boss. <laughs> I've I married a Springsteen fanatic who uh, I've been to five or six uh, Bruce shows, loved them all. I saw McCartney at Dodger Stadium last summer. He brought Ringo on. It was uh, it was a religious experience. I have to go with uh, with the number one seed in this only because I mean, uh, well, I, I don't know that I need to explain, but you know, it's 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 the Beatles. Uh, it's it's the Beatles in full. It's Ringo singing. It's it's um, you know George and the Indian sitar music. It's <laughs> it's uh, the final note on a day in the life. It's it's a concept album that doesn't seem to have any concept or one that they abandoned early yeah. you know in the early stages of it. And it's and it's the the cover as well. I mean it's it's everything about it is so right. indelible that that uh, which is which is terrible that they're facing born to run in the round of 16 this could easily be a heavyweight rumble in the jungle kind of uh a final so but i apologize in advance and uh i put the beatles through well for context here in the first round we had like a virgin versus thriller so that i mean and that was right out the gate so that's again (laughs) absolutely it's like you know 70 ucla versus 91 unlv somebody's (laughs) got to win i suppose but I, i would just like to see it I mean, how can you vote against the summer of love right now? It's what we all need, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I hadn't even thought of that. And, and um, you know, uh, it's, it's, I would like to have both of these on my desert island, but um, if I have to have one, it's Sergeant Pepper. I mean, we are literally in New Jersey right now not allowed to run. 
Well, that, there you go. I mean, that, this this whole concept of the album is moot currently. Yeah, absolutely, but there's so much automotive imagery in it that presumably you're still allowed to drive. <laughs> yeah, sure. Are. Still allowed to sit in the driveway and fix your old yes. uh, fix your <laughs> exactly. old muscle car. For there sure. you go. Yeah, Benny. Dare I, gotta, I even ask who do you have in this matchup? Ah, uh, can I? I plead the fifth. No, um, <laughs> I got. I'm the same. I'm the same. I can't. I can't vote against Sergeant Pepper as much as my. We've talked about this in the last episode. As much as my personal connection to Bruce Springsteen, the nepotism because this man and his songs have directly helped my life, literally. So you know, it's hard to vote against, but I got to keep doing it. You know, this is the second time I'm voting against Born to Run. I'm well, fucking. I'm causing some problems here for myself. Also, I, I mean, I, I go with what, what I would say is the opposite of recency bias. I go, if you came first, and there's no way those who followed weren't influenced in some way by the Beatles, just as those who followed Bruce were influenced in some way by him. So, you 100%. know, it, it, in a toss-up, I go with the older guy. Sure, sure. You know, just to kind of curry some favor with the listeners, I'll pick Born to Run here, even though it's kind of a half-assed pick. <laughs> Good for you, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our next matchup here, kind of blue by Miles Davis versus Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Uh, this is a tough one, especially uh, with what Steve just brought up of recency bias and the influence of uh, kind of blue on all of music, but especially this album. So, Steve, what do you got here? Well, I mean, this is another thing. First of all, you got a clash of genres. I mean, would I rather sing along to that thing in the car? Of course, than to, like, you know, an instrumental. Though I'd hum along to Freddie Freeloader and have done it a million times. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Kind of Blue is, and I, I'm, I'm a, uh, I've t- started at 50, age 50, I took up piano lessons, and I've got a great jazz pianist teacher who uh, worships Miles Davis and Kind of Blue and, and, uh, He'd, he'd kill me if I said anything other than kind of blue, but I mean, it has, it has Miles, it has Coltrane, it has yeah. Cannonball Adderley, it has Bill Evans on piano, and this is a jazz Beatles in, in their own right. I mean, four, it's That's LeBron right. and Giannis, and you know, it's four guys against, against the, the great Lauren Hill. So again, no knock on her, and I love that album, but I have to put kind of blue through. Yeah, I mean, people, like, people forget... I almost see John Coltrane on this record as the uh, like rookie Tim Duncan. You know what I mean? Absolutely. He was coming into the the, the royalty spurs. He was young, and then he went off and, and carried the torch himself. The same that you said. I mean, when you realize this record was recorded in 1959, and it's still so relevant. And, you know, I was explaining this to Denny in the last episode. It's one of those records where... If you decide you're going to get into music and be taken seriously, you have to own this record. It at least has to sit on your shelf, even if you don't listen to it. It's one of those prerequisites, you know what I mean? Exactly. To be be taken seriously, you at least have to know something about Kind of Blue. Miseducation, right? We're we're, we're trying to to demand some new classic status for a few records. And I I think it's a a tip of the hat that, that... Lauren made it to the Sweet 16. Absolutely. And you, you said something that just clicked in my head. Uh, kind of Blue has that 59 sound. It's from 1959. Oh. <laughs> and I think if Denny says anything other than that now, he's, he's a dead man. Well, you just, uh, you're a wise man, Steve, because uh, go back and look at the color scheme of both of those records. And 
and uh, see if you can put anything together. There. Beautiful. I will yeah. do that. Yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> all right. Next matchup, another heavyweight matchup here. I mean, they're all heavyweight matchup at this point, but what's going on by Marvin Gaye versus rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Steve. I mean, this is, this is torturous. This is, I mean, <laughs> this is, this is where, where I, I get into some kind of Talmudic scholarly argument of, I don't even know where to begin with this. So, so um, what's going on is, is I mean, it's deservedly in the top 10 albums of all time. It, it um, certainly deserves to advance. Um, rumors is, is, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to picture my life driving around and I drive for <laughs> hours a day commuting with the kids to events without randomly hearing something from rumors while flipping around on a daily basis. And I, what I love about rumors even more than the music, is the whole mythology of making the record, the cocaine, the divorces, Stevie Nicks, and the, I mean, you know, all of that stuff, and trying for you know, sort of that Steely Dan-like, sonic, clean perfection in the studio. Um, does that mean I like listening to it more than, and, and of course, the cover, the, the cover of when I was a kid, I was like, what is hanging from his belt? Is that, and, uh, <laughs> right. and, and then, and, and, but, you know, but uh, Marvin, I mean, it's, it's, it's i would i could listen to that all day every day his voice the the music the thematic um kind of social consciousness about it i mean who's putting ecology in in um their song <laughs> titles in 1971 i know it's sort of that time but it's still um it's it, this is such a this is really a jump ball for me um and um uh, i i i guess i i uh, my my daughter will kill me because she loves she's 15 and loves Stevie Nicks and we can identify Stevie Nicks's background vocals on every single that she's on of other people's but um, I guess I'm going to have to tip just slightly to Marvin on this one. Mm. Yeah, this is this is brutal. Now, now the the thing that we make on the thing we want. Uh, to really be portrayed on this list is the things that have, you know, the most lasting power. And the tricky one about this is that there's a number of these songs on both records that keep reappearing in the, in the current narrative, you know what I mean? Over right. and over again that, that are not going away. So this one is brutal. Danny, who you got on this one? I think we've talked about, you know, records meeting the moment and then how they influence the future. Uh, I think what's going on in, in terms of the role that modern hip-hop has in, like, 2020, I think it's which one's a more influential record in 2020. I think I've got to go with what's going on. I mean, maybe after this, uh, you know, the corona quarantine, we're all, we'll all be a little more connected to the... Um, the inner strife of Fleetwood Mac. You're right. right. That's true. That's true. Certainly, certainly after the inevitable divorce, I will have a greater tie to, uh, to uh, rumors. But, um, you know, what's going on is still going on, as you know. So uh, yeah. it's hard to argue with that. So yeah, same here. Just a quick question, Steve. Is this how you do ball and chain? Like, you know, you record your part and then Rebecca records her part. And then I put it all together at the end to make it sound harmonious. Yeah, yeah, you're the you're the. Uh, I, I I don't even know who the uh, who the various third and fourth and fifth wheels were in all of those uh, incestuous relationships in Fleetwood Mac, but but you're in there somewhere as Lindsey Buckingham or or uh, whomever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going on the Twitter bio immediately. Um, <laughs> our last matchup here is uh, 
probably one of the more modern matchups that we have, if you can e even call it that. Never mind by Nirvana versus It Takes Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back by Public Enemy. Steve? It Takes a Nation of Millions is the record on here that I'm least uh, familiar with for listening to. I mean, um, Don't Believe the Hype was, was the, probably the, the song that I heard most off of that. And, uh, and I, I, if, if memory serves and Wikipedia is accurate, um, it, Public Enemy wanted to do a hip-hop version of what's going on, the aforementioned what's going on. And uh, in that regard, and for that reason, uh, primarily, I refer to my earlier argument about recency. And, and if Public Enemy were influenced by Marvin um, and they were going head-to-head, -head, of course, I'd go with, with the older one. Now it's going head-to-head -head with, with uh, uh Never mind, and I'm pretty familiar with that album, and for that reason alone, and it's great, and it's um, so influential uh, for all that came after it, um, changed you know the music industry and all that. So I'm I'm going to go with that one while um, while just pleading ignorance about um, uh, the larger rest of the album. Quick follow up here: Which one have you heard more in sports locker rooms over your time covering since from the time they came out to now? Oh, no question. It would have been public enemy. And, um, but I'm old enough that, uh, I started covering baseball in the summer of 1990 and the Cincinnati Reds won the world series that year. I was in Cincinnati all the time. And the song that played on in that clubhouse every day was, and you talk about, uh, perhaps less influential hip hop was you can't touch this MC hammer. So uh, <laughs> tell, tell me that was that Eric Davis. That was, that was their, their pitching staff. Remember their, they had that relief core with, uh, and, and, and their big thing was, you can't touch this. Um, you know, oh, like you, you right. can't, you can't hit this. And, uh, and so that would, uh, that would, and, and baseball was not known for its, uh, hip hop culture. I can, I can assure you of that. A lot of country music and, and, uh, but, um, yeah, so, Boy, if I had to go on what uh, I heard in baseball clubhouses, um, <laughs> you know, we'd probably be doing a Randy Travis album or something. Oh, good God. Good God. Let's stay away from that. <laughs> Let's stay away from the Kenny Powers stuff. Today. Right. <laughs> but this, this one's interesting because it's almost like one of these records, you know, advanced culture and one advanced music. You know what right. I mean? Like, Absolutely. Like I, I don't think you're going to give Nirvana Nevermind credit for changing culture you know no. uh because it didn't you know like like that culture it was representing existed it had always existed and it didn't make a cultural shift beyond music and obviously nation of millions did being so politically charged but as far as like lasting songs and a complete album and the thing that i'm always going to go back to i gotta go never mind for this one you make a great point and uh, i'm definitely going to listen to uh takes a nation of millions all the way through after i get off here you know it's an interesting thing i found doing research for this you know it only takes ten thousand copies to be considered platinum in poland so really yeah i've always wanted to be a platinum artist and i think i just decided and, where to uh where to shape the next couple tours and and know? what a what a great name for an album platinum in poland platinum in poland oh my polka record has been named already. <laughs> well you'll probably sell a lot of those in in wisconsin where polka is still very much on the charts right there so there you go mercy Union polka record. my only my only reference for that is uh john candy and trains planes and automobiles which is i mean 
Credit, credit. I just, I just kiss my hand and put it to the yeah. sky for John Kidd. Oh, and, right. and and Alice Cooper in Wayne's World, Milwaukee, yeah, right, right. place, Algonquin for the yes, good land. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much. We don't want to take any more of your time up. I know you got the kids. You got all of that stuff. Uh, you got anything that you that you want no, to promote? No, no, guys. Thank you for this. We need these ridiculous diversions in uh, right. during this time. So thank you. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. And you can vote on our Sweet 16 matchups at the Tuneup HQ on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for voting. It's been so awesome. You can follow Benny on Twitter at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your minds, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Uh, once again, thank you so much to Steve Russian for joining the show. Great conversation. Be sure to get out there and, and vote on our poll. Benny, you got anything else? Not much, man. Everybody keep your head up, and everybody love everybody. And by the way, Semi-Pro on Netflix, if, if, if you need to watch, it's there. <laughs> this has been The Tune-Up. <laughs> <laughs>